News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 30 of the Luke Macias Show. Uh, thank you so much for those of you who've tuned in, and I'm going to get directly to our Mackenzie Taylor conversation as quickly as possible. Um, but wanted to just give you all a little bit of background. Mackenzie Taylor is a reporter at The Texan who has written a number of pieces on um, the political battle going on between Dennis Bond and Dustin Burroughs and Michael Quinn Sullivan. And she has written one piece in particular that just gives a very thorough timeline of when Dennis Bonin started making statements that were at odds with the statements that he made during the course of his conversation with Michael Sullivan. And then the accusations that Michael came out the the numerous denials that Dennis and Dustin have issued, and then the fact that Michael has a recording and what has kind of transpired since then. So Mackenzie does a great job just kind of overviewing different players and different people's positions and the timeline of how this has all happened. As any Texan uh, listening to this, you should be pretty in tune with this story because it is going to have a wide-ranging effect on the Texas legislature. It's going to have a wide-ranging effect on Republicans' ability to keep the House in 2020, and it's going to have a wide-ranging effect on whether or not um, you know, the Republicans decide to lead when it comes to corruption and what that means for the future of our party. You know, the, the party is somewhat in an identity crisis sometimes, and especially in the last year or two. Um, but Republicans recently in Texas have spent more time concerning themselves with not being socialist than they have with what they actually believe in. And Republicans are kind of faced with that decision again in the situation to decide what do we believe, where do we want to go, who do we want to be as a party, and what do we want to be represented by, and who are the type of people we want leading us. So the conversation, uh, Mackenzie's willingness to come in, was something that I enjoyed, and I think y'all will enjoy it as well. I'm just going to give you a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll get directly to the conversation with myself and Mackenzie. Taylor. Thank you. Welcome to episode 31 of the Luke Messiah Show. I am joined here by the esteemed, the prestigious, the... Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know what else. Famous after this interview, uh, Mackenzie oh Taylor of the Texan. Um, Mackenzie, what is your official title? Yeah, my official title is, if, it, if you ask Connie Burton, it's plate spinner. If you ask me, it's operations manager. Operations manager. Yes. So I brought Mackenzie on not to talk about spinning plates or <laughs> managing operations, but instead <laughs> to talk about the Dustin Burroughs, Dennis Bonin um, situation, which she has written a, a number of pieces on, and have this has been mentioned to some of our listeners. Um, and so Mackenzie, I know you have... Um, you know, been writing on this issue at the Texans. So why don't you just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background on what happened, the whole thing. We can kind of start from the beginning and where we're at today. Yeah, absolutely. So this kind of came to light uh, just a little over a month ago, but I'd argue that it started back in May when Bonin goes on the record, Speaker Dennis Bonin goes on the record saying that he won't be campaigning against any sitting member of the Texas House, whether that be Republican mm -hmm. or Democrat. Um, goes on the record June 12th, a 
closed door meeting occurs between Speaker Bonin, Representative Justin Burroughs, who's also chairman of the, at the time, chairman of the Republican House Caucus, as well as the Ways and Means Committee, and Michael Quinn Sullivan, CEO of Empower Texans in Bonin's office, um, where, um, well, we'll go to July 25th when Michael Quinn Sullivan then releases an article on the Empower Texans website detailing the meeting, essentially alleging that Speaker Bonin offered his organization media credentials. They have a media arm. It offered them media credentials in exchange for his specific targeting of 10 GOP incumbent House members. Mm-hmm. Um, and these members were, uh, according to this you know, account, named by name. Sullivan printed the names of these 10 representatives in this piece. But that was published July 25th, right? So it kind of rocked the legislative world. So, that there yeah, was. so like, take me back to when that happened, what was what was the immediate reaction? Like, this piece gets published at I that point in time. I think people within the text-ledge world's phones were blowing up, right? People were texting yep. this article around, trying to make sense of what this meant, yep. right? What do we do with this? I think it was honestly a little quieter at first, because people mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was shocking to say the least Mm -hmm. that a um sitting republican speaker of the house and his chairman Mm -hmm. of this powerful committee and the house republican caucus would behind closed doors name 10 fellow republicans Mm -hmm. that they would then ask a a special interest group to target and and would mention that to somebody who everyone has considered as a strong enemy of theirs. Absolutely. Right? Somebody who they Someone who has, was a harsh critic during the legislative yeah. session. When and, and they've been a harsh critic of him as well. It right? was, I mean, so this is kind it of a goes mutual both ways. Yeah. as far as the relationship goes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, I think, a shock to everybody to hear that this was even a meeting that happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and Sullivan alleges, okay, well, you know, I was called into the office. We ran into each other. I, you know, Speaker Bonin called this meeting and I went. Um, the day after the speaker sends an email to members of just the Republican caucus and, you know, says that he should have known that Sullivan's long-term goal, um, was to secure, you know, press passes and that at the end of the day, um, the house rules, not the speaker determine who gets media credentials saying, you know, this is, you know, important that Mm -hmm. y'all know this is not what happened, kind of denying the claims. And then a few days later, uh, it just continues, right? So the mm-hmm. snowballs out of control. And Bonin issues his first media statement on July 29th saying, let me be clear, at no point in our conversation was Sullivan provided with a list of target members. Mm. Very emphatic statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on that day, Sullivan releases another piece on the Texas Scorecard website, their media arm, outlining three questions he had, basically using quotes in some of those questions which made a lot of us think, okay, well, does he have a recording of this meeting? Um, now, we talked a little bit at the Texan about how, if this was true, mm-hmm. how the uh, sitting Republican speaker and the yep. chairman of the GOP caucus would be violating their own bylaws. Yep. So this last legislative session, new language was added to the bylaws, which essentially bars any Republican caucus member from campaigning or even assisting in campaigning, mm-hmm. which is exactly what the language says, mm-hmm. against, um, you know, campaigning against one of their fellow members and that they could be ousted from the caucus if they did. I guess the assumption with the word assisting in campaigning is to try to get people away from, oh, I didn't block walk or I didn't do this, right? But... Either you know, the I idea paid that, people to okay, do it, or I encouraged people to. Exactly. I 
you know, I, and, and that's, I guess, one of the questions is, that's going to come up, right, is whether telling somebody else, if you go after them, I, as a powerful person, will give you this and you will still be in our good graces right. uh, is considered campaigning or not. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, so that was something we talked a little bit about. And as chairman, uh, Chairman Burroughs directly oversaw the adoption of the language, mm-hmm. right? So this happened under his watch. And then July 31st, uh, which came as a surprise and a complete, you know, expected uh, outcome. Sullivan did announce that he recorded the conversation. He did not allow, he did not publish it. It was not publicly available. He said that people would be able to listen to it if they were grassroots leaders or if they were, you know, Republican legislators, party officials, that kind of thing. They could come listen to it in Austin in the presence of his lawyer. Um, and later that day, Bonin responded to that announcement saying, quote, Mr. Sullivan, release your recording, release it in its entirety. Again, a fairly emphatic statement, like right away calling for the release of the tape. Yep. And so at this point, you know, Bonin goes out and says there was no list provided. And this is an email not to the public, not not a press release. This is a email to his colleagues. Right. right? I mean, so this is his words directly to the people that vote for him saying, let me make something clear. Yes. This didn't happen. Michael comes out and says, it did happen, and I recorded it. Right. So at that point, and I know, you know, skipping ahead a little bit, but Michael has let conservative activists, conservative lawma- lawmakers um, listen to the recording. What are some of the different perspectives that have come out of people who have been in there? Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a, as you'd expect, a wide variety of reactions, but there was a fairly consistent um, thread throughout everybody who listened to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you had people like Jonathan Stickland, who is, you know, by no means a huge fan of the speaker based on his public, you know, Mm -hmm. statements and what he's done legislatively. And he came out and said, you know, this is, this is really bad. And Sullivan's account was entirely accurate. And then you also had people like Travis, representative Travis Clardy, uh, who is one of the more established members of the house. Um, certainly not in empowers camp come out and say, this is the most disappointing thing I've ever seen. Yep. So, by and large, it was a very cohesive response to what was said. So statements start coming out, and those are what, three weeks ago, two mm-hmm. weeks ago. How long? About has that been? yeah, it's about at this point, it's about three weeks ago. Okay, okay, and um, so the vast majority of them, if not all, but you know, one or two, essentially saying that Sullivan's recounting of the yes. conversation is accurate, yes. meaning he was indeed potentially offered media credentials, media credentials in exchange for his monetary support of 10 particular GOP candidates. And my understanding of that whole situation is that um, the, the difference is that you can ask somebody for a campaign action in replace of a, of a potential campaign action, right? To some mm-hmm. extent, hey, if you help this person, I'll help that person right, too. Right, certainly. Or, hey, I'm going to help oppose this guy, and if you can give me money, I could do more of that. Absolutely. Right? Something to yes. that extent. But the actions of, please do this for me politically, and oh, by the way, I'm going to put your guys on the floor, which is, is what they've... What it's been quoted and quoted confirmed, as, yep. And, um, and through media credentials is an official favor, right? So you're saying, do these things for me politically and I will in turn 
do this for you in my official capacity. Yes. And so that's the accusation. Yes. That's being made. Absolutely. One of the things that causes controversy. The, the phrase quid pro quo was thrown around and it was not, you know, most people did not think it was an exaggerated phrase yep. to use in this extent, right? This yep. is not something that, I mean, you are, and, I, and again, I think it's naive to think these kinds, not exactly this type, but these yep. kinds of conversations don't happen behind closed doors all the time, to yep. your point, right? Political conversations of this nature saying, okay, we'll do this. Don't forget this vote. What do you think about this person's pride? I mean, those kind of conversations happen behind closed doors. So what have the Democrats done? The Democrats have, well, they're almost immediately... You know, people started listening to the recording. It became clear that Bonin disparaged two particular Democrats at, you know, at, during the recording. Yep. Uh, John Rosenthal being one, a freshman member, and Michelle Beckley being another. Um, and she's a freshman member as well. Now, Rosenthal um, came out with a joint statement with Bonin, right? So yep. he came out with a statement that shocked many people, basically, which again, he's a Democrat member with a Republican speaker who apparently disparaged him privately in this meeting, yep. um, saying incredibly defamatory things about him. And he came out with a joint statement, basically accepting the speaker's apology. Uh, speaker Bonin said it was an emotional conversation that they had. But then Michelle Beckley, the other member who was mentioned, came out and said, I've not, I've not been talked to by the speaker. The speaker hasn't reached out to me. And she tweeted that in response to something that Rosenthal said. And then she came out with her own statement, right? Saying I have not been spoken with. Yep. Um, I believe, so speaker pro tem Joe Moody is close with Bonin. Uh, obviously he serves as his right hand. He basically said, I, you know, we just need to wait and see what happens. I need to know what was actually said. Well, mm -hmm. wait, wait for the truth to come out. Um, is basically his, his position. And, since then, it's kind of been all over the board, right? We've yep. had certain Democrats kind of just shrug their shoulders and wait for the storm to blow over, and others have said, you know, this person needs to resign. We had uh, Trey Martinez Fisher of San Antonio send yep. a very strongly worded email to his fellow caucus members, Democrat, yep. um, saying, you know, if we value integrity in the House, here's what needs to be done, kind of condemning Bonin and Burroughs' action, saying, come to, you know, come to the table, talk about it, and let's figure out what actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of folks are very disappointed in that. Um, when Bonin did issue an apology statement, which he did, he issued an apology statement. Yep. He only apologized for the quote unquote terrible things that he said, which certainly a lot of members found that to be sufficient, but a lot of members did not. And he did not address the quid pro quo. He did not address the list. And those were arguably the two largest and most obvious tenants of that conversation that were the most controversial. Yeah. So what, uh, I know today, in fact, like, I don't know, 20 minutes before we sat down, there yeah. was a, a letter that was, that came out, um, with a number that was sent by a number of different legislators to chairman click. Can you tell us a little bit about what the contents of that letter? Yes, absolutely. So I'll, for context sake, uh, chairman Burroughs resigned yep. as GOP caucus chairman last week, mm -hmm. um, and he, he resigned, he offered his letter of resignation, Stephanie Click, the vice chair, became the chair by default. Now, they have to elect a vice chair according to the bylaws, they have to set a date for the election for a new vice chair within 30 days. Mm -hmm. And that could have been done electronically, that could have been done by letter, that, that could have been done in a variety of ways where people yep. didn't have to be in person. Now, today, a letter was delivered to Representative Click with, I believe, 31 members' names 
uh, calling for an in-person caucus meeting, right? So essentially saying, okay, well, we want to have this vote in person and we don't want this to be something we all do separately. We want to be in the room together when this happens. Um, and this was delivered uh, to Representative Cook's office today. Now, this likely means that, um, you know, Republican members are going to come together, mm-hmm. be in a room together. Likely that mm-hmm. means maybe Speaker Bonin will show up. Maybe yep. Chairman Burroughs will show up, right? They are members of this caucus, and if they abstain from attending, then that would make headlines, to say the least. So this is not necessarily something... This is a... Um, and I would be curious to know your thoughts on this yeah. as well, but this is a fairly direct um, move against the speaker in this regard. I think different people are going to look at it differently, but I think it's worth saying that uh, Team Bonin probably doesn't want 83 Republicans in the room together, right? I mean, it's just the reality that it's much easier to control different individuals when everyone is kind of siloed spread across out, their districts. Right. And you talk Absolutely. to one person and you and I have been in politics long enough to know how these conversations go, right? It's, well, you know, he's with him and, Oh, he's saying this and no. And all of a sudden you get in the same room and there's much different dynamics when all 83 people are and it's who's sitting with who and who's walking in with who and where. And they're watching. This is, hey, this is politics. Watching. Everybody's you really watching. Hide, you can't really hide your cards at that point. Real, people start to truly see, um, where different individuals are at. Absolutely. Right? And so uh, this call for a, an in-person election of the vice chair mm-hmm. um, is definitely remarkable. And I think it also brings up the potential problems of uh, the bylaws change, which the Texan was the first one to report on, which is that you have these issues with the bylaws, and if anybody files an official complaint with the chairman, that chairman... Chairman Click will have to refer that on to the entire board, right? And the board is going to have to make a decision on whether the speaker and the previous caucus chairman who had to resign Mm -hmm. violated the bylaws. And the list of offenses, I don't have it in front of me. In fact, I should probably try to pull it up. Um, I don't know if it's, I would assume that it's somewhere in your story. Um, But the, the, the list of of uh, punishment, right, that could be doled out is anything yes. from being expelled, being suspended, being fined, Abs- any yes. of those there's, things. There's a variety, right? So any yeah. one of those for a for arguably two of the most prominent Republican leaders in the state yep. to have to be, you know, faced with their own party in any way enacting a punishment yep. is not a good PR situation. And, and of the current... Board makeup. It's Goldman, Rainey, mm-hmm. Click, and Huberty. Huberty, and I believe Sanford is policy chair. Is he st- so? Yes. So he holds a position as well. I believe so. That. And so Goldman and Sanford have publicly taken positions of kind of Support. we forgive the speaker uh, and yes. we'd like to move on. I think Sanford later. I know the big push was kind of forgive and move on, right? Let's move on to 2020. I think Sanford kind of edited that in a recent place in Collin County where he, I think, uh, had language that was much more similar to what Matt Krause had said, which is I can forgive, but that doesn't mean there are no consequences. And so that kind of put Sanford, I think, back into uh, a, a situation where he wasn't attempting to do what a lot of other members seem to be doing, which was let's forgive and let's start focusing on November. And again, the forgiving portion was to certain members was difficult because sure, absolutely. You know, they were like, we'll forgive the speaker for the terrible comments because he's 
you know, asked for forgiveness for those things, but there are several things he's not asked for forgiveness for. And those are the things that we need to address. Yeah. So in the event that at this in-person meeting, the board was even asked to also begin the investigation process on chairman of ways and means boroughs and speaker Bonin that also provides another potential problem. And so, yeah, it definitely is seen as something that, um, you know, team Bonin did not want to have happen. Yes. Um, and I've heard even individuals, uh, speculate that one of the reasons that Dustin Burroughs resigned was to try to prevent this type of in-person caucus meeting from happening Mm -hmm. because when he's the standing caucus chair and we have so much compelling evidence that says that he broke his own bylaws it's much easier to say, let's all get together and talk about that, right. which opens up the can of worms for all these other issues. If he's resigned, then you say, hey, submit your votes electronically. Let's do this. And nobody has to all get in the same room. There's no and action to be taken as correct. far as who's in the leadership. That's correct. And nobody's in the room. So so we don't know all the individuals that have um, announced for vice chair, but I'm sure that over the next week or two, there will be, and it'll be... I'm sure interesting to see, you know, who comes out and whether they're on this letter or whether they're, you know, publicly having supported Bonin or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks, according to this letter, the they are calling for the election to be held no later than September 15th. And I think, uh, let me pull it, but I think what they're saying is that it has to be held by September 15th, exactly. right? So like the bylaws require it too. So they're saying, hey, you they're can't, have to, ex- you yeah, kind of have to can't. schedule the meeting before September 15th, yep. right? Hey, if here's a reminder. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 30 days out. So, um, so, so where, and now Dustin Burroughs broke his silence this week as well, or this yes. last week. And so what were some of the things we learned when he finally kind of came out and had his two radio interviews that he had? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, he went on two Lubbock or West Texas, I'd rather say, uh, radio stations this last week and broke his silence. Now he had remained entirely silent with the exception of maybe one tweet about a first responders bill that was passed during session, Mm -hmm. his social media accounts and his, you know, press presence was non-existent. Um, you know, he kind of hunkered down to see what would become of everything. And this week he spoke with Chad hasty, who has been following the story incredibly closely, a radio talk show host out of Lubbock. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time he broke his silence. Like you said, Um, and he said that there was no physical list, but that some subjective, subjective calls were made as he kind of went through and he pulled up again, the, um, the list allegedly had to do with who voted against the taxpayer funded lobbying, quote unquote ban. It was much watered down by the end of it. Um, bill that was, uh, authored and brought to the floor by representative Mays Milton this last session. And they, you know, Burroughs came forward and said, we looked at the record vote and we kind of, you know, he said it's, it was very off the cuff to quote mm-hmm. him exactly. He said it was very off the cuff as to how they decided which members would or would not be, um, on that list of 10 in their yeah. meeting with Michael Quinn Sullivan. And, um, he, that was one of the biggest, I don't know, contradictions would be a fairly strong word to use, but um, one of the things, because according to the the people who have heard the recording, they have said that Burroughs was fairly emphatic about who was or was not on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Direct Action Texas came out with a, a piece where they took direct quotes from the recording after their executive director, Daniel Greer, heard it, and those quotes have been confirmed by multiple sources. And one of those quotes is saying we would, well, quote, we would be thrilled to see someone come back in that 
Clardy, Representative Travis Clardy, mm-hmm. his district. Um, and he, you know, has been rumored to name several other people in a fairly emphatic way yep. as well. So that will be interesting to see if and when the recording does become public, yep. whether or not that stands once this is all said and done. I thought it was interesting with the Robert Pratt interview, I guess. Yes, um, that know, was towards, the second one. And towards the end, you know, Robert said something to the extent that, you know, you, I'm not making these accusations against you because you stayed quiet, right? You were smart enough to yes. not say anything. And it was the idea that one of the biggest indictments on the speaker, at least that's been said by a lot of individuals, is the fact that he went out and so emphatically said, this did not happen, yes. right? And so um, when you're willing to do that in an attempt to hold your power, I think it, for a lot of people, just brings causes the question, how many statements did you make to me? <laughs> that yes. So obviously, maybe not true that if there had been a recording for another conversation you had at some point. So when it comes to gaining the trust of your colleagues, I think Ross Ramsey at the Texas Tribune wrote something like, um, you know, you might gain their support, but gaining somebody's support and gaining their trust or gaining forgiveness and gaining trust are two different things. Very different things. And that's, I think, maybe one of the biggest kind of questions that's lingering. And one reason why it's less than ideal for Team Bonin to have an in-person caucus meeting right now. I mean, yes. you know, this is not about uh, raise your hand if you forgive somebody or another. It's, there's going to be a lot of just real questions about who trusts who and who's with who. So as um, somebody who's been following this, you know, more than a lot of people, what are some of the um, unknown things out there? Or, you know, what are some things that followers around Texas should be looking at when it comes to this issue. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say before today, there were kind of three big ticket items that were looming, right? So we would have the election of the vice chair, which has now been brought to the attention that, you know, this will likely happen in person. So that will happen in the next month. Now, the other two would be the Texas Rangers investigation that the House investigating committee um, came forward and said, okay, we're going to, you know, hand this off to a third party and we're going to have the Texas Rangers investigate what happened with the meeting between Bonn and Sullivan and Burroughs. So that's happening and pending. How long that investigation will take, nobody can really tell. But that is a pending uh, situation there. We also have the um, the possible, possible release of the audio release of the actual audio of the meeting. Now, we don't know whether or not that will happen, if it will happen soon, if it will happen months from now. We have no idea. But I'd say those three things are kind of the big ticket items that we're looking for as far as closure, you know, as closure goes to this. Now, again, we have no idea what the timeline for that looks like, right? Will it, will it happen soon? Will people in the caucus make up their minds relatively quickly about what should be done? Or will, people, or will more people call for the resignation of the speaker? Will they not? Yep. Will they not yield to the chairman's authority on the Ways and Means Committee? Like, what does this look like? We don't yep. know. Yep. So those are kind of the three big ticket items, though, that are big impending decisions to be made. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this last couple of days is that the Democrats have largely not been a player in this entire conversation. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that's because those of them that have influence with Bonin don't know if they're ready to burn that bridge yet. Yeah. Right. Um, or what, what their calculation is. And I'm sure different groups within the Democrat caucus, I mean, people kind of forget that Democrats have the same different factions that we have within Absolutely. the Republican Party, right? Parties it's, are, you know, there's a spectrum for a reason. So 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 they have their group, but, but they have largely not been very involved 
um, yet. Right. And their action one way or the other over the next 30 days could be a large signaling to people about how much support the speaker really does or doesn't have. Absolutely. Especially going into 2020. I mean, we've talked mainly about that dynamic within the house, but on a state party level perspective, we have state leaders like governor Abbott and Lieutenant governor Dan Patrick, who are both calling for the release of the audio. We have the Republican party, Texas chairman, James Dickey, who's called for the release of the audio. These, Mm -hmm. you know, people have not, uh, although, Governor Abbott did come out and endorse Dustin Burroughs this mm-hmm. last week. Um, but with the exception of, you know, the House, the state party is largely kind of has their hands in the air. Like, what do we do going into 2020? How do we handle this from a PR perspective? Mm-hmm. How do we handle this from a probably more, you know, from their perspective, the conservative grassroots are looking for a very principled kind of hardline response to this. Other party leaders are saying, how do we build unity going into 2020? There's kind of two approaches and it's been interesting to see who within the party is in either of those things. So, um, I do want to take a little bit of time, uh, now that we have wrapped a lot of that up, I want to you know, I never know how many people are going to listen to an hour-long conversation. That just seems long. And I think y'all's podcast at the Tech Center slightly shorter. And so we will not be here for another 30 or 45 minutes. But why don't, Mackenzie, you tell some people, because I'm interested in, um, you know, your story as well. You came from a, a coastal state uh, yes. to the beautiful Lone Star State and right. have probably been transformed by the strong moral character and fiber of our community in a positive (laughs) way. And so why don't you tell people just a little bit of your story about where you came from, how you got even involved in Texas and, um, why you're excited to be doing even what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Seattle, Washington of all places, beautiful, beautiful Seattle, Washington, and moved to Texas several years ago and have throughout the course of the last several years worked on, uh, with a house member, worked on, um, his campaign and then, uh, worked on Connie Burton's Senate campaign Mm -hmm. as well. And throughout the course of that, just really fell in love with the Texas political scene Mm -hmm. and the ability of people to get so involved on any level and any, you know, decision they make as far as that goes. And, um, it's been really fun to get involved and meet all these awesome people who are also involved. And unfortunately, um, we, Connie Burton lost reelection in 2018. And, uh, throughout the course of that, there were different options on the table and we were looking at, you know, what I was going to be doing, what she was going to be doing and how we'd approach going forward. And she and her husband, Phil are rock stars and very quickly decided, okay, well, we want to start a right of center digital news outlet that Mm. is focused on, um, you know, straight news, providing facts and allowing for written work that is not hostile to the worldview of right of center Texans. Mm -hmm. And so since the election concluded and, you know, since last year, we have been working to put this together and it's been phenomenal to put the team together and to see how awesome they, I I could brag about our team all day long. They're just amazing. Um, but to get to see the response of people who are just grateful to read an article and instead of anti-abortion, it says pro-life, right? It's just simple things like that. Mm -hmm. The content is very similar. Um, we're straight news and we want to make sure people are getting both sides of any given story so that Mm -hmm. they can make the best decisions for their state, but that they, when they read it, the, um, you know, we're reporting on what they care about, what matters to their pocketbook. And we're using language that isn't hostile to their worldview. Yep. 
So, you know, as you have shifted away from the campaign side of things to trying to, you know, be a journalist, what are what are some of the lessons learned or some of just the shifts that have gone on for you? Yeah, I honestly think there's a certain perspective of those in the policy world and the campaign world that um, is really great when it comes to transferring that to written work about what's actually happening. There's kind of an institutional knowledge Mm -hmm. that we get to take and a lot of our writers have that, which is a wonderful bonus. It's not just me. A lot of our writers are very knowledgeable about this. Our editor comes from the DC world, the the movement world Mm -hmm. there, and we all have a fair amount of institutional knowledge Mm -hmm. in one way or another, and that really does go to inform our writing. And I think you know, a lot of the media tries to do an incredibly fair job. And there's other members of the media who are a little more biased in how they, you know, tell a story. And we've been on the receiving end of that. And so we want to make sure that we're incredibly fair as well, that we've, we've, we've understood the, the difficulty of, of getting your point out in, in a story. So we're trying, we try to be very fair. Well, I'm really grateful for your willingness to come by to talk about this issue. This is an issue that, um, you know, I contend will likely be written about at some point in Texas government uh, textbooks. And, um, you know, one of my long term goals is to to teach, um, you know, five, 10 years from now or so and uh, government classes in mm. high school, college, something like that. But the one in even thinking through that, I'm realizing walking through this, that this is literally going to likely be an issue that people are talking about in 10 years. I think, and other people might think that this is just going to go away and, and wash over. And, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those that has lasting effects on the legislature and the legislative body. And I think the question for Texans is whether or not this revelation of unethical behavior is going to produce a uh, positive changes or negative changes because changes are coming. And so it's up to, I think, individual Texans on what they do. And um, I'm really grateful for your willingness to come on and educate our listeners so that they can be more informed and make decisions uh, as to what they want and expect from their elected officials. And thank you for continuing to report this. I assume that people can expect that There will be other stories coming out. So, Mackenzie, where can people follow you if they want to know what's going on with this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. My Twitter handle is Taylor, And make sure to follow at the Texan News as well. That's our our main account. So make sure to follow that one. Thank you so much for your time, Mackenzie. Thanks, Luke. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com. 
We're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you.